This podcast is sponsored by 10 of those. If you're at the recent T4G conference, you probably went to the bookstore. It was run by 10 They want to serve the local church by bringing the best books from across the publishers at super low prices to conferences and churches across America. So if you're involved in running a conference or perhaps you have a women's retreat coming up or a church anniversary weekend, invite 10 to provide a pop-up bookstore. There is no charge for them to come. They'll recommend resources and serve you really well, taking care of all the stock, the cash register, sales tax, etc. And they come for conferences and churches of 300 people or more. They can also help you if you're doing things online. They can provide you with a customized online bookstore for your church, and there's no charge for that either. Email their team to get your bookstore set up. That's sales.us at 10 Sales.us at 10 Baptist 21 is a pastor-led voice for Southern Baptists in the 21st century. The B21 podcast will discuss current issues in the SBC with Southern Baptist church leaders. To check out more resources, visit us at baptist21.com. Well, welcome to the Baptist 21 podcast, where we have conversations about what it means to be Baptist in the 21st century. And today on the podcast, we're going to talk about uh, sexual sin ministry. So uh, obviously lots to think about when it comes to to those topics. Um, sadly, obviously living in a fallen world and too many testimonies that speak to this. Uh, it's an absolutely necessary conversation. Uh, and I have with me today on the podcast for the first time, I think, Garrett Kell, pastor at Delray Baptist in uh, in Virginia. And Garrett also recently wrote a book called Pure in Heart, Sexual Sin and the Promises of God. And so he's just a wonderful brother to have conversation uh, like this with. And so, Garrett, thanks for being on the podcast, man. Yeah, Nate, thanks, uh, thanks for happen, uh, having me. I appreciate your your ministry, and uh, yeah, it's good to be on here. Yeah, always good to, to chat with you. Always uh, am edified by time together. So, hey, first, let's just let the listeners get to know you a little bit. So, tell us kind of a little bit about you. Where are you from? Kind of how you got into ministry, and how you specifically got to Delray. Yeah, so I'm uh, a follower of Jesus. Uh, recently passed the halfway mark where I've been a Christian longer than a non-Christian. I became a Christian when I was 21, and I've been walking with the Lord imperfectly ever since. But He's been merciful, and I'm uh, thankful thankful for that. I have one wife. Her name is Carrie, and we have uh, six kids, and mm-hmm. from 13 right now down to to nine months. And uh, so it's a zoo at our house at all times. So <laughs> yeah, thankful, awesome. thankful for that. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in West Virginia, um, and you know played sports, all that kind of stuff in high school. Went off to college, Virginia Tech. Studied beer until I got <laughs> saved, and then uh, it was marketing was what I graduated with. Then I went to Texas and studied under a guy named Tommy Nelson, who's mm-hmm. a pastor at Denton Bible Church. He's discipled a lot of. A lot of guys over the years um, learned the Bible from him. He really, God used him to help me to love the word and trust the word and went to Dallas Theological Seminary while I was there, was also the evangelism pastor at Denton Bible uh, Church. And I, basically, I was always just looking for any kind of avenue to, to teach mm-hmm. people about, about the, the word. So I taught at nursing homes, loved that kind of ministry and then helped to plant a church in West Texas, small town called Graham, was there for seven and a half years uh, at Graham Bible Church, now known as Redeemer um, Bible Church or... Um, there in Graham and 
Um, then went to Capitol Hill Baptist Church, uh, where I studied under uh, alongside Mark Dever. That's where I got Baptist brainwashed and uh, <laughs> brought, brought in and, uh, and then awesome. have been at Delray Baptist for it'll be 10 years uh, this, this September. So, yeah, praise God. It was an old dead Baptist church and the Lord yeah. has been so merciful. Yeah, to yeah. Answer a lot of prayers. Yeah, I was uh, I became familiar with Delray before you got there and just a big facility, but had had dwindled down, obviously. And so thankful for what the Lord's done through you. Grew up playing sports in West Virginia. So does that mean you were playing sports with Randy Moss and Jason Williams? They same, same graduating class. They were at wow. Dupont High School. Yeah. And everybody knew about of them. Course. So yeah. so Randy was as good or better at basketball than he was at football. Mm. And uh White Chocolate was the quarterback and the point guard. <laughs> so those those guys were just terrorizing everybody. Oh, and man. uh yeah. yeah, we almost we were gonna play them um in like state tournament stuff, but our team we weren't as good as theirs and didn't make it. So, so anyway, probably best, or I would have, yeah, I'd be posters posterized somewhere, but that's awesome. Well, Hey, I want to ask just a few quick questions. We do this with usually first time guests kind of think family feud, answer this question as quick as you can, but about five questions just to get to know you a little bit. This gets people in a lot of trouble. You well, know, you, so yeah. I'll don't ask me anything that yeah, I go it won't be too, it won't be too bad. All right. Uh, question one, favorite book. That's not the Bible. Pilgrim's Progress, no doubt. There's few books that I read again and again. I take it every Mm. vacation and just have a bookmark in it and pick it up and just read. It is by far for me, yeah, the most soul-stirring book that I've ever read. Yeah, And I believe it's the second most purchased English book behind the Bible. Uh, So Pilgrim's Progress, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, facts. Second one, given what you already talked about, favorite athlete of all time. My goodness. That is hard. It's hard to not say Michael Jordan just because as a kid, I mean, he just, he embodied everything. So if it was, yeah, it would, it'd be, it'd be MJ and he's LeBron's a different kind of great, but MJ, like if, uh, yeah, it's MJ. That's funny because the next question was Jordan or LeBron. So it's, I think it's, you've already it's still it's still Michael, but I do the longer LeBron stays at the level that he is. I, I just think they're different eras. I yep. think they're different, different positions, different. The whole thing's different. But if, yeah, I think MJ is still the man. Favorite food. Oh, goodness. Yeah. I mean, it's probably seafood and steak. And if I can find somebody yeah. to do surf and turf, I'm, yeah. I'm a happy man. Amen. Yeah, yeah so. absolutely. But right. you didn't get a lot of that in West Virginia. We get steak. Gonna, but you don't yes. get, if you get seafood in West Virginia, you need to send it back. You're going to die. <laughs> you yeah. a little bit worried about that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Dream concert uh, for somebody dead or alive. And all I remember is my first concert was new kids on the block, which was the worst (laughs) thing that ever happened. So I've been scarred. I've been so scarred. Hey man, Um, I can, I can relate to your pain. I went to, I went to a a NSYNC concert with a girl. So, I mean, I I can, I can relate to your pain. Yeah. So (laughs) um, I think I don't love concerts now, but I, I did in college. Dave Matthews Mm. played a lot at Virginia tech when I was there and I loved going to those concerts. So those, those, those were fun. So. All right. First, uh, sermon that you preached on a Sunday morning, what was the text? Oh, no, please, no. <laughs> oh, I am not lying. It might have been the prayer of Jabez. Uh, it was, <laughs> I, I think it, I think it might have been. I did a lot of other evangelistic stuff because my my story of how I came to the Lord kind of got me on stage doing different things. So um, I did a lot of that. But one of the earliest ones I remember that wasn't just a straight gospel at an, a revival sort of thing would have maybe been the prayer of Jabez. It kind of wow. came at the same time that I came to the Lord. 
And I knew it was, I knew there was stuff there that was good. I also knew there was some squirrely stuff, I, but I had no discipleship. So I'm sure it was just as bad as yeah. you would think. <laughs> Any of you online sleuths can find that sermon. That'd be fantastic. No, so. you can't. <laughs> uh, actually, and and at, at at the church that I pastored, I had them delete the first three years of sermons. Oh, wow. I was wow. like, nah, man, I was, yeah, you grow as a preacher and, <laughs> and praise God for that. So. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. That's awesome. All right, let's jump into to the, to the book, but also just, I want to talk in general about kind of ministry and sin, um, and in particular, uh, we, you know, sexual sin. So sometimes with the, with the minister, the kind of the main three areas that typically disqualify a man are sexual, financial, or just kind of anger. So there, mm-hmm. there's several, a big, but sexual sin is a big bucket. Are you wrote they're this, all related. They're, they're all, all related. related. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah they they're all related. And so related. there's, you wrote this book, but there's a lot behind why you wrote this book and even why you would want to speak to this. So can you share just a little bit about maybe even, you've been open about this, so, mm-hmm. um, but past struggles, even as a pastor, uh, and maybe a little of the kind of the story behind the story of writing this book. Yeah, it's kind of birthed out of, of two things. One was my own my own personal struggle as as a follower of Jesus to to honor him in this area and not always doing that well. And then the other side of writing it was as a pastor, there's a lot of good resources out there. Um, but I didn't feel like I had one resource that would say kind of everything I wanted to say as best as you can in a book that I could hand to a a man or a woman, someone who's same struggling with same sex attraction or not somebody who's an adolescent or somebody who's a parent who's trying to help somebody else to walk with it. You know, all I didn't feel like I had just one resource that had that was Christ-centered and practical and authentic and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's those two things are kind of why I I wrote it. So um for me, my own story, yeah, I mean as a I still remember as as a young boy in fifth grade, um first time I saw pornography, like I could probably, if I tried right now, bring up what was on that wrinkled page that my friend had stolen mm. from his dad's stash, you know, and, mm. um, it, it awoke something in me. Um, and as a, as a young, as a young boy, I tried to try to find that, uh, whether it be in, in pornography, which in those days, um, you know, you had to work to try and find, you had to steal it from somewhere or something like that. Um, and then also, unfortunately in, in relationships, um, growing up. And then when I came to know the Lord, you know, the Lord just so merciful to forgive me for the abundant amount of sin that I had, had been, been a part of, um, hurt a lot of people. Um, but the Lord uh, was merciful to me and then, but old sins die, die hard. And, um, even as a young believer, I began struggling with, with pornography. I still remember being at a Bible study, uh, that Tommy Nelson was teaching. I mentioned him, you know, I mean, it was at seminary at the time. And I remember as soon as the Bible study was over, he said, amen. There's just a temptation, just shot one of those fiery darts right in my, mm. my heart to say, you go home and look at porn. And I mean, I did, I was a seminary student. I was an evangelism pastor. I was, you know, as respected as a young guy could be in those, those days and just went set. And I looked for hours Right. I just hours, like page after page after page. And I remember when I finally shut the computer off and I just sat there and I thought, I guess I'm always going to be like this. Mm. And I started to think, so how am I going to manage this part of my life and the part about like wanting to honor the Lord with my life and being a pastor? And I, so, you know, I started hiding it and masking it and trying to learn to downplay it and mm-hmm. learning, learning to confess it enough that I didn't, I wasn't overwhelmed with guilt and shame. So it wasn't debilitating. 
but I never really truly dealt with it and repented. And you just, I just kept that and kind of nursed that sin, you know, um, and, and kind of kept it around. John Owen says, you got to kill it or I'll kill you. I tried to manage it. Um, but you can't manage sin. It's imperialistic and it always wants more and it just morphs. Mm-hmm. And, um, so carried that into the the church plant and the first three years really of, of pastoring. Uh, I was not married at the time. Uh, I had a long distance, uh, relationship with, uh, with, uh, uh, a different woman that did not end up ma- marrying. Um, and there was a lot of discontentment in my heart. I was in an unplanned place at an unplanned pace. What I wanted in life was not happening. I wasn't married. I wanted to be, there was, there was 50 things were just, I was discontent about, you know, grumbling is always a gateway to all sorts sure. of sins. It's a sin, but it's a gateway to more sin. It's actually one of the most dangerous sins. I think it's an, a lack of gratitude toward God for what he's done in your life. And it was just, it was underneath of, of a ministry that was in, you know, I mean, by all accounts thriving. I mean, our yeah. church, the church was growing. People were coming to the Lord, all that kind of stuff. But I was, I was harboring this, what I felt, I felt entitled. Mm. Like I was serving the Lord. I was being faithful, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I kind of felt like I deserved a retreat and a break. And that's the way I kind of used pornography was mm. a little bit of escape um, from, from reality. And, but I would just cover it up and that happened for years. And um, then finally uh, a brother named Reed Monahan, who was an X 29 pastor for a while. He, um, yeah, he, I, I kind of confessed to him and he helped me draw it out and just, he, he called me out and that was in 2007 and it mm. began a year of, of really learning to walk in the light through some really painful things. Um, that were more painful. I mean, more pain, it was painful for me, but I, some of the weightiest part is the way it was painful and the other people who were there who were just trying to follow Jesus. And they got this guy who's a hypocrite who's, you know, mm. been leading them and that's confusing for people. And, uh, so Another another conversation for another day, I'm sure. But um, all that to say, uh, the Lord helped me to learn in that season what it meant for the gospel to be just as much for believers as it is for unbelievers and to walk in the light. I got married in that season. My wife was knew everything that was going on in that time. I had you know been repentant for a season, but it was still coming out and being honest about where I'd been. And yeah, so the the that's that's all. There's a lot yeah, in there. I'm happy to un, unpack any of it, but. That's it's birthed out of that. I want people yeah. to not walk in darkness yeah. and in shame and feel like they they can't be honest. Yeah, in order to even say, I mean, I love how you worded that. I guess I'm always going to be like this, yep. and just I'm you know, thankful for the insights there. Um, you did resign from serving at Grand Bible in that season. This podcast is sponsored by 10 of those. If you're at the recent T4G conference, you probably went to the bookstore. It was run by 10 They want to serve the local church by bringing the best books from across the publishers at super low prices to conferences and churches across America. So if you're involved in running a conference or perhaps you have a women's retreat coming up or a church anniversary weekend, invite 10 to provide a pop-up bookstore. There is no charge for them to come. They'll recommend resources and serve you really well, taking care of all the stock, the cash register, sales tax, etc. And they come for conferences and churches of 300 people or more. They can also help you if you're doing things online. They can provide you with a customized online bookstore for your church, and there's no charge for that either. Email their team to get your bookstore set up. That's sales.us at 10 Sales.us at 10 Well, I basically... <clears throat> the guys didn't know what to do. The elders didn't know what to do. So I, I went you're to how old at this time. I mean, you're, I was 28. Okay. So young. Somewhere in there. Yeah, are the young. other, are the other elders young as well? 
Yeah. So I was, I became a Christian when I was 21, pastor when I was 25. There's a red flag. Um, and then I pastored for those, those three years. Um, and the elders, they were, they were, they were godly guys, but they were, they were green. They didn't, they didn't know. They just, all, all they wanted was a church that preached the Bible and they wanted right. non, you know, Bible belty Christianity. They just wanted a real Christianity and that's all they signed up for. So they weren't, they hadn't been to seminary. They hadn't, and it's not like seminary trains you for this anyway, but like, or some seminaries anyway, that like it, it, they, they didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. Nobody knew what to do. So it was right. a mess. So I, I came and just said, my ministry is in your hands. I'll do anything you want me to do. So basically they counseled me to, to tell the congregation uh, to get counseling and um, to just kind of be, be on watch. And yeah. part of that was because there was some distance from the last time that I had given in by this point, it had been some nine months or nearly a year um, of, you know, not giving in and, and, and compromising. So there was some distance there. It may have been different if I was like, Hey, this was just yesterday and this has right. been going on and yeah. or I got you know caught or something like that. It might've been different, but um, yeah. So, so I can, I confessed it to the congregation twice. Um, mm. And, and at those days we didn't have meaningful membership. So it was basically an announcement on a Sunday morning. Hey, anybody wants to hear about the pastor's struggle with porn, please come tonight at five. And I mean, you know, people come in with popcorn there. This was a show. Oh, yeah. They were interested oh, yeah. in that. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a very hard, but you know what, one of the things that it, it, it was a, that the Lord used, uh, during that time was my fear of man is what drove a lot of my unwillingness to walk in honesty. Cause I, mm. I wanted people to think well of me, mm -hmm. you know, I wanted them to, and I wanted, cause and it was the mix of, I wanted them to think well of Jesus, but also wanted them to think well of me being the one through whom Jesus was working. It's like, I was photobombing Jesus, you know, I was, I was like, Hey, I'm here too. And there was that, that glory seeking sort of thing that was part mm. of my sinful struggle. And when you're sitting on top, when you're sitting on a stage telling everybody about all your sin and all the ways you've compromised and taking every question they can ask you about everything, it does something. And, and I died on that stage. And I remember earlier thinking the only way I'm ever going to stop this is dying. And the Lord did kill me that night in a way that I needed to die. And I'm mm. grateful for, you know, because that's how you get Jesus uh, all the more. And yeah. yeah. When you, when you say struggle to fear of man, which I think completely makes sense, what did you think? So like internally, what were you thinking to fight against the fear of man? And then externally, you know, you mentioned somebody like Reed and others, but like what, so internally and externally, what did you do to actually make sure you got on that stage that night to fight that fear of man and to actually experience that kind of, I mean, some sense pulverization of, of mm -hmm. your, yeah. yeah. So I think, um, the reason I told Reed, Reed and I were thinking about planting a church together. Um, and I, I knew deep down, I wanted to be able to be honest with whoever I was working with because I just didn't know how to do that where I was. So I wrote what's called the letter and I detailed everything. So I, I just kind of laid everything out there. He asked me more questions and it became clear that he and I were not going to be able to work together. He didn't feel comfortable rightly. So, and, um, that he didn't think I was qualified to be a pastor at that time. So I think that initial getting it into the light and then coming back and giving that letter to my elders and saying, here, read it, ask me any question. My life is in your hands. Light is sin's kryptonite. And it, 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 it made this, it just started to kill the power of sin in me in a way that, that when I, I getting on stage was, it became, I wanted to do it. I was seeing how free it was to not be lying anymore how free it was to be able to get up and preach and not have to be pushing back. Yeah, but you're doing this or fighting off images I had seen while I'm in the pulpit, like all of that kind of stuff. And 
uh, you know, tr- maybe pulling punches because I don't want to be a hypocrite or throwing some extra punches because I don't want somebody else to be like me. And like just all of that, that's wrestling in a, in a conscience that's not at peace. I found freedom from as, as I began to walk in the light. So the more you walk in the light, the Lord puts to death all these other things. And so getting on stage by that point was really, I was, I was, I was coming along in the right. healing process. Yeah. And, um, and part of the patience for me was then realizing not everybody else has been where I've been. So, you know, nine months later, when they're still asking me questions about it, I didn't have the right to be impatient and be like, come on, this has been two years now. Yeah, like they're still processing. It's new for them, so I've got to be. Yeah. God kept me humble through that as well. Or you know, yeah. was working to keep me humble. So. Yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts. This is a big question to be an episode into itself, but I do think, given just man, it, it seems like disqualification from ministry is ever present uh, among us. Um, you know, heartbreaking. Sometimes now it's like you're not even. You're always sad. You're not always shocked anymore, which is yep. uh, even in of itself is a sad statement. Um, would just love to hear your thoughts in generally about pastoral disqualification, temporary disqualification. What does and should both repentance and restoration, even restoration to the office look like? Mm. Again, uh, just some initial thoughts uh, as we want to start to think about yeah. those kind of things in a, in a healthy way, in a biblical way. I think it's always a case by case basis. Sure. sure. Um, I think there's, Depending on the the culture of church that you're in, there may be too high of a standard sometimes for pastors, you know, that they they almost can never sin. And that's going to create an environment of, of them being tempted to hide because they know if they're honest about stuff, they're going to lose their job and all that comes with that, right? Yeah. Um, or there's there's another kind of culture where, you know, grace abounds and listen, we're just going to forgive and like, thanks for being honest and like, don't even worry, we're all sinners. And like, so there's... Yeah both of those two extremes are unhealthy, right? So it depends on which culture it's happening in, you know, um, to where, how we're going to, how we're going to deal with it. But I, I think we want to say there's a high standard for pastors. I mean, they need to be above reproach, which doesn't mean that they are sinless. There's only one who's sinless, right? Jesus, but they need to be examples of both resisting and repenting of sin to where if, if an elder is struggling with something, they're going to be, they're going to be an example to all in whatever level that needs to be of, of resisting and repenting sin of sin. Um, and, and when they, when brothers at the table with them begin to feel uncertain as to whether they're in a healthy place to be able to see clearly on things because sin distorts you, or you're beginning to say, I feel like we're having to hide some stuff from the congregation about who you really are. Like all of that, that's an unhealthy, it just introduces opportunity for Satan to, to just do more and get more than one person. So um, I, I think, again, it's going to be going to be a case by, by case basis. I think we want to not be so hard on pastors that they, they can't be free to confess sin. So one of the things I love about our elder board is our brother, the brothers there, we, I, my soul feels safe with them mm-hmm. to where I know I can come and confess on the regular. And we do, we confess all sorts of things to one another all the time. And that sort of environment is, is safe. To, to, to be. So I'm, I think we want to create a lot of that on the front end to try to make it a place where a pastor could, could confess, you know, so like what would happen if a pastor did confess in your, in your congregation, you know, like it would be, yeah. it'd be hard. So, um, yeah. So again, I think it's just gonna have to be a case by case basis. Sure. So if you want to throw out a scenario, I'm happy to try and walk through it, but I think it's yeah. just gonna, I don't want to just give like, here's, it's yeah, always no, that's, this. That's I don't helpful. think it yeah. is always that. And, no, I think it's really helpful. And, and it, you know, I, I do think 
that a book could be written on this. And mm-hmm. the problem is the the audience would be so slim. Nobody nobody's going to want to write that. Though the right. audience should be bigger than it. Than it you know it's it is such an important thing because it not only affects the pastor and his family. It obviously, as you've even mentioned, it affects people in the congregation who who trust that man. And uh, right. so let me just then I will throw out a specific instance sure. just. Uh, so that you can maybe yeah. have us think through it and it, it just be your instance, so your situation. So you're 17 years now, wiser as a pastor, a brother I respect. If you were looking back on Doing your anything. case, uh, how would you have counseled what should have happened in the moment? And then what yep. should have happened in the in the months and years that came right. after that? Great. Yeah. yeah. So in hindsight, and again, yeah. uh, this is not to, to throw any shade at any of the brothers who were walking with me through it. Right. Um, they, I put them in a very hard situation. Um I would say when I came and brought the letter, um, the fellow elders, so let's say I'm talking to me, I would say, Garrett, first of all, I want to, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for being honest. We know it's scary to do this. Secondly, I want you to be encouraged that God is working in your life for you, for you to go through this, to get to this point and to confess like that's evidence of grace. And we want to celebrate that. We want to praise God for that. And by the way, I would encourage you to do that with anybody who ever confesses sin. Just celebrate the fact that that's evidence of God's grace in your life. We're not going to celebrate the sin, but we want to celebrate the fact yeah. that confession is fruit of like the spirits yeah. in you. So we want to acknowledge that. Right? And his kindness towards you. Yeah. Yes. It's so yeah. merciful. Um, okay. But then I would say, brother, um, this is serious and it's serious on a couple levels. So giving into pornography is one thing. Secondly, that the level of deceitfulness that I feel like has been accompanying this is even more concerning uh, because you've not been honest with us about who you are. Now, if there's things in this elder board that we we need to hear that make it hard for you to be honest, we're happy to to navigate some of that. But right now, we need to we need to think about a plan for you moving forward. Um, then there'd be some prayer, some fasting, some thinking through. There's gonna have to, have to be some fast prayer and fasting, especially in a small town when word gets out and it starts mutating, which are which was made it harder. But um, I think what I would say is, um, you know, it's been, so it's been nine months since the last time you, you, you gave in praise God for that. We want to encourage you to stay here at the church and to walk through, we've already seen some repentance, which we're encouraged by. We want to encourage you to walk through uh, a period of, of examination, um, that, that we hope will lead to restoration. Um, we don't want to put an exact timeline on that because we don't want to just dangle a carrot and keep you in order for a certain amount. We understand this is this is this is hard for you. So we want to give a bit of a severance package. Uh, we want also want to pay for you to um, go to counseling and whatever that's going to look like. We encourage you to you know sit with a biblical counselor for at least at least you know three months. Let's hear where they are. It may be three months and three more after that. We'll see. We'd love to to work with that counselor. Hear where you are. Um, we're going to give you a sabbatical. If after the end of that sabbatical, we we think that we're on a path toward path towards restoration. Then we'll we'll kind of address that then, and if not, then you know we, we'll think about what it would look like to you know to move forward in a different direction. So I would mm. I would give a sabbatical as for for my case where I was a sabbatical. Sure. I think we would tell the congregation. Um, I think we tell the congregation in the same way. Acknowledge it. Here's what repentance has looked like so far. Here's the path forward, and then I would have a faithful, godly pastor. You know, if there's not one on staff bring somebody in that you trust to come and help to shepherd the flock, preaching books of the Bible and, and love through. And I would encourage me to stay. I was so glad I stayed. Mm-hmm. I was so glad I stayed. I had a number of friends counseling me to not stay. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
because they thought I was had been repentant and you know there was it was over the top and I I love them and I know why they were counseling that but I I'm so glad I stayed because it it what it, God did in the congregation afterwards was so helpful mm-hmm. people started confessing their sins they started being honest they saw that the gospel was real enough to help me and you know and I think it gave a lot of encouragement and hope so you know. Yeah. So it's something like that. And super helpful. Yeah. And again, I think that would be another conversation for another day, but just, I think uh, most of the time we're just ill-equipped to be able to handle those moments and and even uh, particularly elders who are having to try to, one, they're just getting knocked down by learning about your sin and then they're having to figure out, okay, what do we do Mm -hmm. now? And so uh, that's super, yeah, helpful. Thank thank you again also for your transparency in that. I think that has helped um, that helps a ton to, to say, Hey, you can do this. Like you don't have to be like this forever and yeah. you can do this and you can trust the Lord. I think that's wonderful. Let's talk specifically. And we just talk quickly about the book. Um, I'll, I'll just ask you some kind of boilerplate questions, but more of that, I just want people to actually pick it up and to read it. Um, sure. but you've kind of already mentioned this, but who's the audience? You think about audience of this book, who's the audience? It's for the church. It's for anybody in the church. So, um, yeah, men, men or women. Um, a lot of times we think this is just a men's issue. It's certainly not a men's issue. I mean, just as much a women's issue. I mean, we're all sexual beings, so I, we want to, and we're all sexually broken, and we're all tempted in lots of different ways. Whether to, uh, yeah, d- lots of different ways. So I just, yeah, it's it's written for men or women. I've all, to be honest with you, the most surprising a group of people who've been reading it and seem to be helped are parents reading it with adolescent kids. Mm-hmm. Like when I say adolescent, so like 13, 14, 15 year olds who are, you know maybe been exposed to, to some sort of uh, material or are just really starting to really struggle with their thoughts or whatever it may be been a good resource, I think for, for, for that demographic to help, help train up in a way that's authentic. Um, yeah. So I've been, I've been encouraged by that. So. And so needed. Yeah. Obviously the, you talked about this in the beginning, back when we were uh, teenagers, you had to both steal and then hide yep. pornography in a certain sense. And now it's so, prevalent that you don't have to hide it under your bed, um, oh. you know, or hide it. In, in, yeah, yeah. So it's so you have to hide easy. from it. I mean, like yeah, it exactly. literally is coming for you back in right. the day, you know, you had to seek it out. Now it's seeking you out. I mean, yeah. in literally. So, yeah, that's, that's encouraging that parents are uh, finding this book useful. So you break it down into two parts. Tell us just briefly why. So promise of purity, pathway to purity, give yep. us a, kind of an overview of why that, that breakdown. Yeah, theological foundation and then practical application is is kind of the, the thought there. Though there's it's mixed throughout, so you can't sure. really separate those. But I wanted to give a good foundation of understanding uh, the nature of of promises and how God uses that to fuel us. Right, that the purity is not an end in itself. So we're not just trying to get you to quit masturbating or look at porn or not commit adultery or give into same sex attraction. But like rather, this is God's the goal. Mm-hmm. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So the whole book is a meditation on Matthew five eight where we are meditating that the promise, the purity is a pathway to getting God. And the reason we want to resist sin is so that we can see him. And that we, we just work through that, talk about what sex is and what it isn't, you know? So, I mean, there's such a miss, actually one of the most edifying chapters for me was the chapter on, on, on pure passion. Like what, what mm. passion really is, what, what, what mm. sex really is and it's positive design. Cause I grew up always hearing this in the Christian world anyway, that sex is bad. Don't do it. Cause it's a sin. And that's just so not, not true. Bible. Like it's, it's not, Bible. Yeah, it's not yeah. in the Bible at all. Like that's yeah. just shaming and fear mongering. And you don't want to, so like the whole purity culture of like, you know, if you, you know, you have sex, you're going to get herpes and like, well, like, Oh yeah, but maybe, but that's not what God wants you to be thinking about here. Mm-hmm. There's bigger things. So all of that understanding the enemies around us, all that. So I just want to lay a foundation theologically 
and then to move into real you know, practical stuff. Again, that people can sit down and talk through. That's actually what, another thing I love about the, the book itself is in the appendix. Uh, one of the appendices is just questions. And they were all written by about 80 members of our church who read, mm. read through it before they went to the publisher. I asked them what would make this better. And they helped make it better. And then wrote discussion questions that they think this, this is what people who read through it could talk about it together and help yeah, one another. That's good. So, yeah. it's good. Uh, just if you have any, like one or two things that kind of, as you sat down, and actually started writing one or two things that maybe surprised you or kind of like stood out uh, as you kind of even obviously processed all the things you thought through in the past, but then started to put pen to paper. Um, I think how one thing that, that I probably knew, but surprised me was how this, the principles in in the book itself really are aimed at, or, or the promise, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God mm. is mm. I, I work it through the the temptation of sexual sin, but it it really applies to every sort of sin. So you could do this for every everything. Mm. Um, and I just think that the the power of promises, the sin, temptation is a promise from Satan of joy and pleasure apart from God. And promises from God are intended to be the truth that promise God is the end and joy is in him. And just how those two things interact and just the power of the promise, you know, um, and John, you know, John Piper has helped me to think through that over the years uh, and some of his reading and preaching. So that's been, been good. And then the other thing is uh, the power of the hope of glory, mm. you know, first John three, that, that he who hopes in this, the return of Jesus and us being like him will purify himself as he is pure. Mm. That there's a power in hoping and wanting to be with Jesus and like Jesus. Mm. There's power in the future of that promise that's going to come yeah. to pass that comes into the moment now and fuels us to say that I'm not going to give in to sin. Yeah. Like I can't tell you how many times that's helped me, even since writing this book. I mean, I can think of a couple of specific times of being tempted where I had, I had, I was like, okay, I've got to stop. Lord, I want to see you now and I want to mm -hmm. be like you then. So help me. And then I reach out that's to good. a friend. I'm like, hey, I'm being tempted. Pray for me and then do the stuff Amen. I always do. So, yeah, so good. Uh, just, I, I'll let you go, man. We, we, it's been a really, really helpful conversation, but uh, any final thoughts, encouragements? Obviously this is such a massive issue. We even talked about the prevalence of it now with, with smartphones and all that, but just final thoughts, encouragements, both about the book and even just this topic in general. I would just say that if you've listened to this and the Lord has, has pricked your conscience about mm -hmm. anything, I would encourage to not ignore that. Like if, if God has used anything here, reach out to a friend and say, Hey, listen, I need to talk about something. If you've been convicted of a sin, or if you know you're hiding, I just want you to know there is a way out. You don't always have to be like that. Like you feel there's, there's a way out and it's, it's, it's through Christ. And the way is hard. Listen, I'm going to tell you 2007 was the hardest year of my life, but it was the best year. I would not trade the gold that I got, uh, for, uh, for anything. Like I got to know Jesus more and Amen. it's worth it. So I want to promise you it's worth it. Promise you it's going to be hard. But Jesus will be with you through the whole thing. And that's that's really the whole point of this journey anyway. So don't don't quench the spirit. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, but flee to Jesus. He will, mm. he will give grace. Amen. It's a good place to end, Garrett. Always appreciate you, brother. And we'll have you on again to talk some of these other things we've already hit on. But uh, thanks so much for being on, bro. Yeah, thanks for having me. God bless. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Baptist 21 Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Baptist 21 podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at our website, baptist21.com. Also, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. It would really help us out. 
If you ever have thoughts or ideas for future interviews, please reach out to us at our email, babbis21 at gmail.com. Again, thanks for listening to the podcast.